I'm on the phone with Danny Boy now. We're doing our part two because um, last time he was in L.A., we, we ran out of time and there was so much to talk about. And um, I actually just listened back to where we ended and where we ended at was um, I, I was saying how when I first saw House of Pain come out, you guys look like hardcore kids. And, and I got all the information from the, from talking to you because you were a hardcore punk kid to suicidal and skateboarding and all that shit. And that that was intentional and that was part of, you know, how you guys were growing up and stuff, being involved in hip hop, punk yeah. rock and everything. I mean, for me, for sure, uh, I, I, not Eric and uh, Lethal, but for me, most definitely. Um, it was peculiar in the 80s, uh, growing up in the San Fernando Valley, which is like on the other side of the hill of Hollywood. As punk started to become a thing, there were a lot of punk gangs uh, based on punk bands, if you will. Suicidal tendency, having I'm sure the largest at that time of, uh, you know, band to gang ratio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember yesterday the first punk album I bought. I mean, if we're calling it punk, and you're calling it hardcore, let's let's not, you know, whatever those definitions are, are are different to everybody. But at the time, the first record I had bought that was anything close to punk was Suicidal Tendencies record. Yeah. Um, genius record it was also uh, executive produced by glennie friedman the photographer as well which was a whole other crazy story that which is... i found out year, years later that you know he i think he lent them 20 grand of his personal savings that he had saved up from doing all the skate fo photos for all those years Holy regardless shit. signed the frontier records blah 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 i had none I, I didn't care about any of that all i saw was dudes with white t-shirts buttoned to the top with you know with hats flipped up Venice written under them, V13, and, and throwing up gang signs. And I was like, these dudes are hard as fuck. And, uh, you know, I, I've always gra gravitated towards that, uh, you know, that, that counterculture tough guy stuff as a kid. Yeah. And so for me, that was a thing. And then as, as I started going out to nightclubs, a lot of, there was a lot of uh, dance clubs in LA. Uh, at the time, I would consider them like new wave type dance clubs. Uh, phases hot tracks three two one in santa monica uh what's the other one in uh dylan's and westwood and there's one in, in in hollywood that i'm forgetting it'll come to me but uh and this is where i started to see a lot of other a lot of other type of dudes like that and then we would go to punk gigs we go to hip-hop gigs punk gigs all of it was revolutionary at the time because if you're a suburban white uh teen you know being the only white dude at the hip-hop joint you know it, it, it is it's different it's weird it's, yeah it's going out of your you know the your your normal uh, area of operation and beyond the wire and so i was always attracted to that type of stuff and what i wasn't attracted to was any which is a definite california term hesher stuff mm -hmm. i mean i grew up that was status quo i mean i love zeppelin and black sabbath like the next guy don't get me wrong but that whole i mean i grew up just you know long hair looking like that too yeah but as i started to like get a little older i mean i i, I grew up on my mother's motown records man so i've got like a uh like my soul you know the my 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 attraction to like deeper you know drum breaks and and bass lines is way you know, uh, something I'm more interested in than, than, and that originally was like what kept me away from punk for a while. Cause it, it didn't, you know, I didn't hear that, but I started to get yeah. into punk is what we're getting at. Uh, you know, I, I, minor threat was great to me, you know, suicidal, but as far as the gang thing goes, there was a lot of gangs in LA. There was the lads and, and, and there was the circle one, the family and suicidal tendencies and, 
Burbank Punk Organization and in the Valley FFF and Mickey Mouse Club. And there was, you know, um, 20 more that I'm forgetting off the top. And then there was a lot of uh, gangs like the Posers and Sex Jerks and which were which were black uh, gangs that look more like members of Fishbone than they did Crips and Bloods. Wow. You know what I mean? They were into yeah. that alternative scene nightclub stuff whatever whatever and they were they were hard as fuck too so and so that was the stuff we were into so when house of pain started to become a thing all of my guys were from our clique mickey mouse club so we were all flannels and and slick back hair and 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 dickies and and gas station shoes you know we look like you know we look we look like white cholos and so eric got down with that uh when he got down, when I when we put House of Pain together, that was like everybody looked like that. So you know, it became a thing. He just rolled with how you know what, what everybody he just got with the program. Uh, you know, as far as that's concerned. Because uh, yeah, he 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 had I got the knack, and he was like, um, he came from the Rhyme Syndicate, right? So he had 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 that song I got the knack before, correct? Yeah, no, I mean he put a listen, the dude. The dude was. The, Killing it. I mean, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you got a record with Ice T. You're in high school. Yeah, that's bro. Crazy, I, I'm probably you know the first you know the first on record fan. I'm sure you know his family loved it, and I'm sure other kids got it. But I I was running into Eric at the right time, man. I we were at a party. I don't even remember where it was, man. Somewhere in Northridge or something. And he came. He had an envelope from Warner Brothers with like the first Rhyme Syndicate EP and a sampler. And he was like, Yeah, you can have it. He he brought it to play at the party. Okay. And it didn't even, I don't even know that they even got to play it that night, but he was like, you could have it. I was like, bro, I couldn't imagine that he would give me something that the re- the label sent him when he signed the Ice-T, like the first, yeah, you know, uh, advanced pressing of, of Rhyme Syndicate's coming through record Damn. that he's on. I was like, souped. I'm like, yo. And I remember prior to him getting a record deal, we were at a we were at a graffiti yard. We were all little white b-boys, you know. There was only a handful of us in the valley, and you had to be tough back then, or you had to be like clever. Yeah. You couldn't just be. You just couldn't be that. You know what I mean? Without yeah. getting heckled and problems or whatever. Um. And I remember sitting in his truck. He was in his dad's truck, I think. He had a dad had like a Ford, you know, pickup truck back in the day, and he started playing me demos. And I I literally thought Everlast was lying. I'm like, dude, this dude is playing me like unheard rock him demos damn and because he sounded like him he flowed like that and i i'm not trying to compare just for anybody new listen i'm not trying to say everlast is you know rock him or rock him you know whatever whatever but to me this was the first dude that i personally knew that could rhyme at a level that was worthy of getting a record deal let's go there gotcha. let's just like that was like impossible that's like you know what i mean yeah uh and then he to me he had a he had a flow like rock him like if he was influenced by that uh, so be it um i'm sure he was I'm who 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 doesn't you know put rock him in your top I, he's my favorite rapper so but for me it's like in everybody's top 10 he's got to be there um regardless i was like wow it was so good is what i'm getting at yeah and i was like maybe maybe he's fucking lying about it maybe he's bullshitting like maybe this is not <laughs> so that says something you know what i mean and i yeah. i wasn't like a a, a, a novice hip-hop fan it wasn't like i was deep in the whatever it was like i already knew everything on the landscape so to hear him rhyme like that i was like i was impressed and so when his record came out i remember i was working at the nordstrom rack over there by the topanga mall and uh i brought the i brought the cassette 
back to the stock room we were all playing it and i remember listening to it and i remember being like wow this is super impressive i mean a dude that i went into you know in the same from my neighborhood <clears throat> one just the fact that he's in a photo with ice t at the time i mean ice t's a god in hip-hop, yeah you know what i mean it's totally. like you got it you're you're like part of ice t's click and you like you running around woodland hills like wow like that was super impressive so yeah record came out i liked it um syndication was probably the best joint on there uh, all the other ones were cool. Uh, you know, uh, what can I say? It was a cool record. It was a great record. I mean, for, uh, you know, I'm going to say he was 17 when he wrote it, 18. I mean, wow. could never write that in my best day, nor would I ever try. I mean, uh, so I'm never trying to, despite whatever whatever our current status is, me and Eric, as far as like, you know, brothers getting along, not getting along, whatever, whatever, I will never, ever uh speak against him in that way or or ever try to reel back uh my my um admiration for his skills uh Mm -hmm. the work he's put into it uh i mean in my in and i I don't know that i've ever said this before uh publicly or not but uh he he him to he he's my favorite white rapper uh if we're going to get you know if we're going to put stuff in like categories yeah uh and I, I wouldn't have been able to put up with 30 years of bullshit nor him putting up with 30 years of mine <laughs> to, for, if a dude that I was like, oh, he's kind of cool or he's all right. Yeah. I just, it, it don't work. Like, yeah. I, I really had to like the material that much. Yeah. And so, and I did. And then when we put House of Pain together, you know, he basically was able to, with within a few months of like, uh hanging around with me and this kid todd bailey which is like he's name checking a song i rip shit daily ask my man todd bailey yeah i'm rocking the, that's that's eric talking about todd and him and todd used to be tight they first met and they just hit it off they both like smoking weed they were both irish they were both they just had a you know they could they, they him and gator and 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 those those are all dudes from mickey mouse club and they were all they all tightened up with eric and and, and so um what I'm saying is, I forgot what I was saying with all that, but uh, regardless, um, oh, so here's what I was saying. So he got, you know, he he was running with us yeah. in, in, for those like six months in Hollywood. And uh, I, literally, I literally moved to Hollywood just to keep up with him because he was he was staying <laughs> with his girlfriend at the time I left the valley. And I'm like, man, I ain't going to let this dude just pull off. I'm going to Hollywood, too. So I moved to Hollywood. A lot of my dudes from the valley followed me into Hollywood and used to come into my apartment and crash out and get high and drink, whatever we were doing, you know. Yeah. And uh, Eric used to be there, too. And then we all started going out nightclub and just, you know, banging and clanging. And so Eric was able to, within like a couple months, uh, put all of the stuff that we were like doing into rhymes i mean it was like having anthems based on your gang or your you, the, the life you're living and eric that's what that first record as far as i'm concerned that's what i'm hearing i'm hearing this dude put all of that stuff into words like i've never seen and heard before or since yeah you know it was woodpecker pecker would take me out you never could act up in my neighborhood you better not my aim is good you know what I mean? Sick. Like that shit was giving me chills when he was, when I remember him, you know, asking him to spit that for a kid, Colin in our neighborhood from, from another gang called FFF he used to come out to, to, to Hollywood and, and every once in a while he'd pop his head in. And I was like, yo, check it out. And Eric kicked that rhyme and Eric would just bang out like this. He was belting out classics before they were recorded in that vein. And even if you weren't a hip hop fan, you were like, wow, Damn. Like, this dude is talking like that gangster gangster shit. Like for white guys, it was like, yeah, there was nothing else like it and that for me was my thing you know um yeah 
again, not to, you know, in a world now that seems very, you know, inclusive and all that good stuff there. I've always, I've always gone and done been wherever I want to be, but there was, there was a time where it was like, again, it wasn't that easy to do that. You really had to be committed, you know? And if it, if I was doing that, which I was and going to those spots, I wasn't going to lose who I was in the process and who I am is just a, you know, a regular middle-class white suburban kid who has a, you know, an, uh, a liking for all sorts of music and, and, and nightlife. I like to yeah. fight. So I like to, you know, we did our thing and I was, I figured that was a, if that was good enough for me and, 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 and my people's, why wasn't that good enough for fans if they were going to like house of pain? Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> stripped, stripped down in that era was the look. I mean, and Cypress was a big part of that too, because, and we had, we seen all those photos that Mike Miller took of Cypress when they were, you couldn't see who they were, army jackets, buckets, hats covering their face. Yeah. You know, I was like, yo, that's, it's as stripped down as you could get in a, in a era where hip hop had hit Zenith with like MC Hammer and the shiny pants. And the, yep. it was just like, everything was like shiny and glittery and, and over the top gaudiness. And then all of a sudden here comes Cypress Hill and House of Pain. Super gritty, complete opposite. Yeah. Gritty, stripped down. Onyx on the west, uh, east coast, you know, started, yes. you know, popping off, and Biohazard was getting down with that. And yeah. you know, I was even a fan. When you know, it, it was a notable moment when you know Anthrax and Public Enemy, and even before that, Sick of It All, and uh, and Kara had KRS One going, yes. you know, fresh for nine, nine, you suckers. You suckers. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I had that record too. And then I uh, met you, and you were yep. running with them, so it was like, yeah, that was like you gave me a sick of it all uh uh coach's jacket yeah rocked that for years in the video too yeah That's, man i'm saying that was a jump off so it's awesome it, you know th- those things i love i guess yeah so when i say like favorite white rap or we're white boys and this i mean obviously that's the truth but what i always liked was to see that 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 infusion. I love when the clash came to New York and found hip hop and yes. started making records like radio clash and uh, magnificent seven, where you could see Futura 2000 in a video at radio clash, rack and spray paint, getting off on a skateboard, you know, yeah. trucking down the street. The banner at Shea stadium was the clash written by Futura. The 12 inch single was that they decided to make a record with him. There's, you know, the, the escapades of Futura 2000, which was like, you know, he's rhyming on that. Uh, he's rhyming. He, uh, Futura is rhyming on the, the combat rock record on that, uh, on that angel song about, uh, the garden name guardian angels, I think. Uh, oh, so, shit, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Oh yeah. So, I mean, bro, there's, again, this is where, where, you know, when I, when it, you, you think I didn't trip out when I saw the documentary, the sex pistols documentary, filth and fury, when, when, when Malcolm McLaren was like, yo, we left England and came to New York in 79 and I'm walking in, you know, I'm, I'm walking in, in, in Manhattan and I run into a dude with, with, a sex pistol shirt and a mohawk a big black dude and introduced himself as africa pombata Sick. i mean and yeah. then next thing you know malcolm mclaren's a rapper doing you know <laughs> that. duck rock and buffalo <clears throat> girls which was real yeah and the damned and now all of a sudden i thought captain sensible was a rapper from england i'm like why are the english rappers so old <laughs> because he's like i said captain i said what i said captain i said what you want i don't know if you remember all that but, i do my wife loves bro, that shit yeah but that's what I'm saying. Like all dude, the crossing it, genres and shit. Yo, Adam man had ant rap. I mean, I'm a, yeah. I'm an Adam man fanatic, bro. And all of a sudden he's rapping and they, and bow, wow, wow is doing C 60, C 60, C 60, 
four, whatever. You know, everybody's starting to like incorporate hip hop. Did your Ramona Robert rap Plant. album? Yeah. Yo, Robert Plant got breakdancers and I'm in the mood when his solo record and he cut his hair short. I'm like, you're on our team now. Come on. You know, <laughs> it was it was really in L.A. It was tough because it was like Hesher's versus everybody. Yeah. And they had a lot of numbers of just dudes that were like, you know, just stoner dudes, dicks. I never liked those dudes because they were very closed minded, usually racist, usually, you know. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know. It was, it was, that was a status quo. So I just couldn't wait to get out of the San Fernando Valley and get over, you know, to the other side of the hill and see how the other half lived. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing movies are made about. When you see Valley Girl, it's, it's real. You yeah. Know? Two dudes coming from Hollywood into the Valley back then to date girls. I mean, you were like <laughs> unwelcome and vice versa. Yeah. You couldn't go to, we used to surf Glenn Kennedy surfboards because everybody at the beach knew that was a Valley guy and you were coming from the Valley. So if you were, you come out, if you hit the, if you go to Malibu, all, all it was spray painted all over was Val's go home. And if you got out on the water with the, with the Kennedy surfboard, you were basically, you know, saying, fuck you, you know, wow. like what? Yeah. And so we used to rock specifically rest in peace, Glenn Kennedy, who just passed away a couple of months ago. But any Valley dude knows what I'm talking about. That's real, you know? And yeah. so, and then the flashback, all of this stuff in 89, I went to the movies to see Lost Angels, which was Ad Rock's like first, you know, real movie that yeah, he ever did. That one, yeah. That movie was stolen or rewritten about an article that was in the Rolling Stone magazine with the Valley Suburban Gangs, where it mainly talks about a gang called FFF and a kid who was murdered, Mark Miller, who's from that gang. But it mentions Mickey Mouse Club at length. It mentions a bunch of other gangs. And that was like a big deal when that happened. It was, it was, it kind of shook the Valley uh, yeah. to its core. And it also brought that to the like attention of a lot of law enforcement. And it was right at the age where I was already like, you know, it was just falling apart anyway and people were going off to college or moving out of the valley and whatever. So they, it was like the end of an era, but it's ironic that my favorite group at that point, hip hop wise, you know, were the Beastie Boys, you know, yeah. as far as, you know, like, oh, they're doing it and they're doing all the little mixing in that punk stuff with the yep. thrift store stuff with the totally. And, uh, just to see them, just to see him in that movie at the time, I didn't know that that was based on that article. And I was like, this is insane because it's like matching our west coast yeah. life the way he's dressing with the gas station shoes you know the mm -hmm. biscuits you get at sears the the black you know jump offs the white socks the the dickies the the the, the ben the, davis the, yeah oh, the mccarthy no not even that's like up north. <laughs> i didn't know about that until they brought that out of xl at their store that's like up north stuff but okay. we had like MacArthur jackets and all that just like yeah you know just dressing like a either like a doughboy from the, the 1940s uh, u.s navy or dressing like a cholo in the yeah. in the 70s southern california so yeah to see that movie was a trip too because i was like well, what am i watching this is basically this looks like a mickey mouse club documentary or an fff documentary so that's crazy man did you ever get to talk to him about that or meet him and talk to him about that or no Nah, bro. When we went on tour with them, that was the first tour we ever went on. It was also the first tour we ever got kicked off on. Oh, Everlast said it on their tour manager. I bought an AK-47, was putting it on everybody. It was. We were trying to replicate License to Hill, and they weren't trying to hear any of that. So no way, that's fucking. Crazy. You know now when like opening bands, like they get to your dressing room and they try to like barge in. They're like, "Yo, dogs, yo, what's up?" They they think it's like, and you guys are like. I don't know, eating tofu, meditating, exactly. whatever you're doing, <laughs> and you're true. like, uh, "Excuse you." 
this is not this is our sanctuary you know Damn. we came barging in i'll just speak for myself i came barging in their dressing room the first day we got there like yo 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 and they were like no 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 <laughs> like, this is not how that works i was disappointed i was like oh they hate us Damn, so you know? that was the first tours opening for BCs on, on holy shit. Yeah, at their request. And so, you wow. know, I did, I used to do weed wear. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember the yes, that, I do, but, yeah. Yeah, my first real client was Extra Large Store. And I think I did some like little hashtag, you know, air quotes modeling. They did a, like the LA News did an article on them and that we were sitting out front and dressed up, you know, and all of that stuff. Uh, and they, they used it in a few things. But regardless, man, um, <clears throat> Yeah, so the the House of Pain is really, you know, in my mind, it's an extension of the stuff we were doing as Mickey Mouse Club, which that's why when people are like, you know, Mickey Mouse, you know, he's in the house. If you know the first record, yep. you hear it sprinkled in there. It just doesn't make sense to you if you don't, if you're not in the loop, you know, yeah. why why we wore Mickey Mouse shirts. And I, I'll even do you one better, the fact that all that's in the Outsiders as well. You know, mm. with with two bit rock and the Mickey Mouse stuff, it, it was it was apropos for me for for it's come full circle. And so there's always something Mickey Mouse in my life, uh, figuratively and literally. So that's crazy. Did so? Did you get did uh, so when you linked up with Everlast, did you guys make like a? Did you guys make like a demo and shopped it, or how, how fast did you get? No, nah, so we originally, so originally it was like more of a concept. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was staying with me for a while, and and I was doing a lot of nefarious stuff with reprogramming credit cards and so uh he was staying with us and we started building on the idea of it he found a cassette that i had named house of pain which was i just made a j card for some weird demos that we were doing which yeah. you know i always dabbled in music but it was garbage i mean it was just an excuse to just do something different you know i worked at a record store for a few years at, at a chain called the warehouse yeah and so i had a massive collection because i helped myself to most of their their, their product um <laughs> And when he came over, and I also was a, a pet peeve for like if you borrowed a cassette tape and you brought it back without the, the, the little case or the J yeah. card was missing, I'm like, yo, really, bro? Like, so yeah. if even if I and if I made that mistake by leaving it in a chick's car or whatever, I'd always try to make another one at the Kinkos or whatever. So I had a bunch of blank tapes that I had recorded on, and I put the nice little J cards on them. So when he was like, "House of Pain," what's that? And I was like, "Yeah, that's my group." you know and uh he's like your group and i was like yeah you know i don't know he just liked the name and so yeah. when we started talking about putting something together um he was hip to it i think he wanted to just to not be solo anymore i think he didn't like the idea of like you know having to be yeah. the front face of that after after the rhyme syndicate stuff might have left him a little bitter and mm -hmm. whatever and, and at that time he saw cypress and he liked the idea of having a few dudes with him yep and at the time, I was rallying for another DJ, uh, a guy that we grew up with in the Valley. He was an incredible, like, oh, the scratch. I mean, unmatched. His name is DJ Arrow. But eventually, uh, Eric insisted on uh, Lethal, which was his original DJ mm. when he was solo. And uh, it just became the three of us. Originally, there was Todd Bailey and a few other dudes were like peripheral. Matt Champy, the guy who died, uh, yeah. that we dedicated that first video to. But they weren't going to be really in the group. They were just going to be like, you know, goons. This is, totally. You know, they were just going to be, you know, part of the the, the, the aesthetic yeah. of House of Pain. Because really, that's what we were. Again, we were the Mickey Mouse Club. And he was, he, they, he liked that whole how we moved and how we looked and how we rolled you know out to the clubs yeah 
You know, we had a little thing in Hollywood. And at the time, there's a lot of dudes also around looking similar to all of that. You know, Baltazar Getty and David Arquette. And you know what I mean? Mm. Everybody had everybody had that aesthetic. of like, you know, baggy, baggy trousers, you know, mailman shoes, white T-shirts, slick back hair, three quarter length Westies jackets. You know what I mean? Yep. We personified all that shit. That was us, you know? Yeah. So anybody at that time that was into hip hop, but was also living in Hollywood, you could tell we came from Hollywood at that point. We were no longer Valley dudes. Yeah. We kind of brought our style over there and they were already doing that stuff, too. Yeah. So it was like everybody was like, OK, this these, this is the next, you know? So, yeah. So you start saying make your name out there. And so th so then when this when you guys get. So it was quick. So yeah. so dude did it. So originally we were talking with this kid, uh, Danny, 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 Danny. Damn, what's his last name? And I could see his face. I know his sister, Michelle, Danny. Gosh, big producer still. Okay. Seal, Billy Idol, all Damn. kinds of like, and it'll, it'll come to me. Um, uh, and it, I don't know what happened. It was Everlast in the House of Pain. And we had a little band that were, was another band. And. It was just too much. And I think when he was shopping those demos originally, people were like, you know what? You're either rap or you're rock. We don't know what this, what you're doing. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Because we were trying to do a band. Yeah. Eric was already like, I can sing too. So anybody thinks that that's like a new idea after House of Pain, it's not right. This dude gotcha. used to walk around with the guitar. Him and Divine Styler were like always trying to play guitars and write. You know what I mean? Wow, interesting. And so, yeah, oh yeah. So they were always trying to do their Jimi Hendrix v version of hip hop, you know, yeah. like bringing, bringing guitar into it and all types of stuff. But at that time, nobody wanted to hear that type of stuff. So we lost the band and we became a three piece, which is me, Lethal and, uh, and Eric. And he, we did, he did a few songs with uh, Quincy Jones's son, uh, QD3. Yeah. And at that time he had just done like some LL Cool J, like 13, uh, I don't know, 17 shots to the dome. But yeah. basically it sounded very R&B ish. It didn't, it wasn't a perfect fit. And then Muggs came in the picture. We ran into him. I remember Eric taking me to a club saying, yo, I want to introduce you to Muggs, Cypress Hill this, Cypress Hill that. And we went out and met with them. And, and next thing you know, he was like, yo, come out to Muggs house. We're recording right now. Tell Muggs about this House of Pain thing. Like he wanted me to pitch Muggs the concept. Wow. So I did. And next thing I know, Eric came to my house one day. He's like, let me borrow some records. I'm like, which ones? And he's like, give me some good stuff to like try to sample or show Muggs. And I gave him a bunch. And you know, it's one that I never got back and I was pissed. And he'll, he'll I'm sure you could remember it doesn't matter. Uh, and now I'm going to forget it. You and me and we uh messed up it was a it was a ska what's the guy from like the the uk subs who did like a ska band after that oh he did i didn't even know that too <laughs> yeah what is it called messed up uh Fuck. oh my god you it's a classic me. um they were a ska band in like the 80s yeah of course here's some uk boy, subs let me look this shit up yeah right now. I'm, I'm my, up. my boy baron hooked me up with the record dude and then I borrowed, I borrowed it, and then I left it to Eric, and Eric left it at Muggs. I never seen it again. Holy uh, shit! I'm looking up right now. UK subs, and this guy, man. I wonder what or it the is. exploited, or the exploited. Exploited is great. Yes, English British punk. Who's the punk. singer? The exploited is Waddy. Yeah, the same for exploited. His name is Waddy, but there's also Charlie Harper, Steve Rogers, Jamie Alvin Gibbs, UK subs had another band, Street Punk. Looking at it right now, man. I didn't know they had a ska band after that. That's crazy. Yeah, and I'm never, but you could have... Britain's R&B scene, Charlie Harper. Yeah, wait. 
It's a bunch of shit. Who knows? But so that's the record. Anyway, took. so he took a bunch of my like my little flavors because Eric was strictly hip hop dude. Like yeah. he was strictly and he must have known he knows obviously growing up his father was into like all the, you know, uh all of the stuff that he liked, credence and all you know, all of those type of mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the Eagles, all that. But nobody at that time, and I assure you, and then fuck anybody who says different, <laughs> like there was only a handful of heads that really knew like all of those landscapes, like the real punk stuff, the real hip hop stuff, you know, the kid yeah. who gave me that record, Baron, he was on point like that. We used to go back and forth because he was deeper with the punk stuff than I was because I like, I'm a, when it comes to punk stuff, I don't, I never considered myself punk. I was in a punk gang and did that thing for real, for real. But I, I was more of a B-boy, yeah. you know, who dressed like a, like a cholo who listened to punk and this punk I like was skate punk. It was, cool. it was nardcore stuff. It was, it was Stalag 13, like I said, Harry Pugh, yeah. and, and RKL or, you know, rich kids on acid and, and, and and uh on LSD, yeah uh, yeah it was like that you know what i mean yeah. i like suicidal i liked uh beowulf i liked uh excel i liked all of the, all of that west coast mm-hmm. asian orange was my favorite and it's not right. even to me i look at that now it's not it's more like rock than so it's rock new wave or some shit yeah and asian orange yeah, yeah. it's just it's like crunchy you know I, but i love it asian orange to yeah. me is like the ultimate the, the songs are well written and, and it's got that edgy orange county yeah so, so but nonetheless, all of that was all of that was in the soup, if you, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So when the record came out, like, so like, no, check it. So Eric went to Eric went to Muggs' house. He came back the next day with a three song demo. Oh shit! Jump around, put your head out, and come and get some of this. Damn. And we played it at the house, and everybody was like, "Wow, game over." game over like, and i play jump around over and over in my own apartment with like 10 kids in the living room at all times because my house my spot was like the flop house Again, yeah i was doing i was doing a lot of crime so money was coming in there's a nice little apartment and people and every the whole building was filled with dudes like me or there was nobody going to complain so yeah. we play our record. We play our. I had a drum set in the living room. The whole nine. It was like bonkers. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, dudes was. We would play this song over and over, and and people were moshing in my living room, smashing my <laughs> shit. And I just knew that's how you know. Yeah. Your friends would be like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's cool." You know, but they're not gonna stay on it like that. This, no. This thing was undeniable. I mean, it's obviously we know that now because it's still going. But, Fuck. And so the rest is starting to like now. It's starting to speed up really quickly. You know. And it was just like, hang on, here we go. So getting and, uh, a record deal was easy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, it it, it ended up being a no-brainer. It was just depending on where. And that's when, uh, you know, if you can get to, if you're if if you're if you're a hip hop act and you're signed at that point to uh, Tommy if you're Boy, signed to Def Jam or Tommy Boy or. Or any of those type yeah. of yeah, I mean you know, yeah, I mean, but in particular, Def Jam or Tommy Boy, that's those are like the that's the gold standard, you know what I mean? Yes. And uh, it is uh, it was it was like more impressive than you can imagine. So it was like overnight, or the rec did the rec so the single came out first before the record, didn't it? Or the video blew up? No, nah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, no, dude, dude. <laughs> so we got a record deal. And everybody was loving it. And the next thing you know, uh, crisscross drop jump. Oh, shit. So the original record deal that we were offered was through Rough House because Muggs was signed and, you know, Cypress was signed to Rough House. Yeah. 
And so we were, out of respect, offered them our record. And I think they offered us something like 50 or 60 grand, which was like, really? You know? Yeah. And originally our manager offered us, our manager was at the time, uh, was Rifkin over at Loud. Yeah. Or was Finfer, but he gave it to Rifkin. Rifkin was like, yeah, I'll give you a single deal. The only one is buy, jump around. And we were like, nah. Eric was like, nah. It was when Danny wasn't doing anything. Danny was, you know chilling but um yeah my point is is we ended up at tommy boy and and next thing you know we're just about to launch and all of a sudden chris cross will make you jump jump and now they originally had sent us that record with a mugs there was no jump on it and then they heard jump around and loved it and wanted to sign us i think it was for 70 or 80 grand and we were like nah Damn. and then so they were like well fuck it we'll just make our own and so they in the 11th hour they they got crisscross to do a song and put the hook jump jump Holy shit. and they dropped it immediately and it was a hit so it was like well i mean i thought it was over right there mm. i mean imagine you you got your you got your ace in the hole it's a yeah. short shot and next thing you know someone else drops it because they heard it you they you gave them the privilege of hearing the demo holy shit yeah so we thought it was over but tommy boy was smart they're like fuck them let it ride out and then we'll drop right after. I was like, nah, because when you're young, you're like, nah, whoever G's off first, that's the one, you exactly. know? Yeah, exactly. But they were wiser. They were like, let it come. It'll go. And it was only about a two-month thing where it was like popping. And then right as it dropped, it started to fizzle. Yeah. All you hear was that that horn. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. It was all over but the shouting. And so. Damn. And that's it, man. From there, I mean, I could, we could spend another hour or ten talking about all of this reckless shit but looking back for me it's really like a movie i've seen man it doesn't really seem like my life there's been so many uh things that have happened since then and so many ups and so many downs i mean it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me it was, sometimes it's the worst thing that ever happened to me um because you got money quick like you you became so rich and oh, famous yeah. so quick i wouldn't say so rich or so famous but we, we were we were we started to pop and we started to make the money and we started to spend even more money and you know, it brings out, as you know, and you've been around it as long as I've been around it, it sometimes it brings out the worst in people. Sometimes it changes yes. people. Sometimes it uh, affects it affects everybody differently. And I honestly can say, because of my drug addiction, which was later after, you know, House of Pain started to fall apart, I started to dabble in drugs. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I first got sober, I used to hear people say like grateful alcoholic and grateful. I'm like, grateful. Are you kidding me? It's like the worst thing I could imagine anybody having to suffer through. It's one of them, you know? Yeah. But now I consider myself a grateful recovered, recovering addict alcoholic. And why I say that is because without that bad experience, I wouldn't have been able to get to, to better my life moving forward with, you know, finding a power greater than myself that I call God, being able to be of service, to look at things for their true value and not what what I think is valuable. The outside stuff, as much as I love shiny stuff, and I will always love shiny stuff, I don't deny that. I don't act like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm not trying to play like Buddha here. And, and I always want a nice car, a nice watch. And, but yeah. those things don't define me anymore. And they don't draw on that my my drive is not based on that because I would work yeah. a lot harder and be a lot more shrewder if that's all I cared about. Those outside stuff never fixed me. They fix other people, so be it. Yeah. Those for me did not fix me, and I had been walking wounded way longer, way before House of Pain ever happened. Mm. And it all starts at home, and it all goes back to, you know, 
mommy issues or daddy issues or whatever your issues are. Totally. Um, so in my case, because of my alcoholism and because of the drug addiction that I acquired, uh, it was eventually it became, you know, jail's institution or death or get sober. And so yeah. by the grace of God, you know, I got sober and I was able to, you know, stay sober. And it was it, it didn't take the first time. I had three and a half years when I decided a drink wouldn't be a bad idea. And the drugs was clearly the thing that destroyed me. And it took me down for another three years. And I saw you on that downward spiral because yeah, you had man. came to my spot. Yeah, man. And it was in and out of sobriety and half my weight. And I don't know what I looked like, but it was terrible. It was scary. And, yeah, um, yeah. and so to, to be, you know, 14 and a half years, uh, I'll have 15 years in April next it's April. Amazing, so man. I'm going to say 14 and a half. For, I'm not good with math. But regardless, my point is, is that I had to go through that bad to get to the other side of that. And what that looks like now is, is that. Although I'm, you know, definitely no saint, I'm far from perfect. Um, <clears throat> I do have a, 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 you know, I have my marching orders, and it's, it's, you know, uh, trust God, clean house, work with others, and and so coming all this way out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, after finding the Outsiders House on a La Coca Nostra tour, and spending five years going back and forth on road trips, you know, doing Delta, Delta Bravo, Bravo yeah, was, and urban yeah. exploring and all that good that stuff. That was so cool. I'm finally buying the house. I had no business buying the house. I had no experience in buying that house. I had no plan for that house except to make sure they didn't tear it down. Yeah. I had no money to fix it up. And it was in a million times worse condition than I could have ever imagined because I bought it sight unseen. And so I rallied around it and we raised money and we did fundraisers and we, this whole town and this whole country and this whole planet really came together to it's make really this, cool, this dream a reality. And now I have a museum here and, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I live here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm team Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I champion Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and I like to say that, you know, people thank me all the time, thanks for what you're doing for Tulsa, and I gotta be honest, I mean, I need Tulsa more than Tulsa needs me, and so mm. it's a mutual appreciation society, I found a, a, a little piece of, uh, you know, authentic America that fits perfectly where I'm at in my life at 50, yeah. I look back at all of the music stuff and all of that stuff is like a good fun ride. I don't have any like, you know, there's times I'm bitter about this could have went that way or if this guy would have did this or if he would have said that or she would have said that. But in the end, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm i blessed to have had the experience of, of, of House of Pain and doing House of Pain and, uh, and the privilege of working with Everlast and Lethal and um I'll always look back as you know. Yeah, it was a, it was up, down, and all around. But yeah. it was definitely something for the ages. And uh, or who knows? I could have, you know, just you just never know. So I never look at it like. But you know, there are some there are some pains associated with any of that. I don't know any other uh, way to say that. And I and I gotta be honest with mm -hmm. you. Most of the guys that I still stay in contact, you know, and I won't throw you into that loop, but because I don't know your situation or do I, you know, would they ever come up, but a lot of the dudes I know, and you know, basically without saying who I'm referencing, we all have that common thing in common. We all have that thing in common, which is like, you know, there's fractured bands and they're two separate teams. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And even if they still work and you see them working, you know, better, you know, that there's, there's team this and team that, and totally. separate, you know, and it's tough because you know what, you get a bunch of creatives you put them together, they make something pop, and for the rest of their life, they're married, whether they like it or not. And people grow at different paces, and people and people evolve or devolve, and, and whatever. And you look back, and you're like, we're not even on the same planet, 
yet here we are on the same planet and expected to be, you know, playing yeah. well with each other. And yet we just, it's so it's tough. And it's, it's, it, I really say that for, you know, new cats and bands. I mean, this is something that is, is it's, it's age old. I mean, you, you're going to spend a lot of time in close contact and, you know, you know, this you, dysfunctional you know this family, color. man. Yeah, man. It really is. And, and I, my hat's off to you and, and, bands like that have been able to weather the storms year after year and all the things that come in between it sure. kids marriages ups downs drug addictions uh, this addiction whatever it just there's a million things that life will throw at a person yeah and then you have to keep it all together in a band and constantly be progressing and 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 it's very few bands that could do it my hats again was always off to the beastie boys uh, you know rest in peace mca yeah but had he had not passed they would still be you know doing their thing and i'm sure that they've had their own problems or For whatever sure. but i always admired that they kept it together and that they didn't fracture off and you didn't hear you know mike d solo records trying to like you know or, yeah. or ad rock trying to you know whatever whatever they just they did their own side projects but they were always the beastie boys and yeah. it's something i've always wanted and maybe that's because i don't write prolific rap records maybe if i was eric and you know i would want to only be solo because i i don't need the you know the team anymore but for me that's that's where the big hurt was for me because i always felt that house of pain was a forever thing yeah and it turned out to be you know a thing when it was a thing and then for decades it was not a thing and then it was a thing for a couple of years and then it's not and it's just it, you know that that is not how i saw it in my mind uh yeah and, and that hurts that too yeah. Wasn't a, yeah it hurts and it, it, you know a lot of self-esteem and pride is is, is an ego for me you know yeah was that was that was that was that, that was that hard to was that hard to deal with when it did end? it still is yeah. yeah it still is it's not even that it's still it's it's just you know anytime someone says i love your guys' stuff I, you know my first thing is like you were not a thing you know and it's it, you want to get into the the minutiae of you know Such and i just smile and say though. thank you yeah yeah of course it's, and, and say thank you but there's nothing uh it's at the top of my list of things that you know if if, if did that bother me because i don't want to you know, I don't want to die going like, yeah, we never put it, uh, we never mended the fence between me and Eric or yeah, mended. and that goes for everybody, not just in hip hop, fuck hip hop. I mean, and totally. I don't say fuck hip hop like that. I'm life. just saying like, fuck, mm -hmm. fuck any genre of anything. Yeah. It's in life. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, if, if there's, and I'm thinking now you got me thinking I have to do my, maybe uh, an amends list, but uh, I'm sure there's a ton of people that I still owe amends to, or I still need to get closure with. And again, it's all part of growing, man. I know it, you know, I, I, for me, I feel like I've come a long way, and I've only scratched the surface, dude. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, at this point, uh, you know, this is uh, at the 50 year mark. I felt like, you know what? Despite what I want, what I feel I need, what I should have, you know, basically two kids. I want uh, a four bedroom house, two cars, and a white picket fence. That's fantasy land. That's sales commercials that on, on the holidays. Like that ain't real. Yeah. What's real is I'm I'm healthy. And 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 a, and a somewhat sound mind. Go find someone else to help, bro. Like you know, yeah. like that's that's the conversation I have with myself every day. You know what? So what? Now what? Go help somebody else. Go be of service to the community. And that's what the great thing about this outsider's house thing is. It's like I started it to save a little house that was important to me. It was cheap, and I thought I could save it. And what it's turned into is a completely other thing. It's become a civic uh, center, if you will. So and amazing, we use it man. for coat drives. We use it for AA meetings. We use it for to tour for the you know outsiders fans. 
I'm hoping to do weddings. Maybe if you and your missus renew your vows, you come to yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma and do it at the outside of South Greaser so, uh, style. Uh, cool, we, we're looking to do wine tastings, even though I don't drink. You, you, you have at it. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like I'm saying, I don't know, you don't drink, but whatever, I don't care what, yeah. you do, what anybody else does. It's like, do your thing. We're, we're in, so this thing has, has kept me involved at all levels. We, Monday through Friday, we have school children come through. They're on field trips. They, you know, they pay a little to come through and then the school gets to spend an hour and a half at the house and, and learn about, you know, the importance of Vessie Hinton and her writing that novel at 15 and how Coppola got a hold of it and made the movie and how it launched the Brad Pack. And it's all basically in your own backyard. It's also Oklahoma. And what I found is a lot of the kids out here, unlike growing up in New York or LA, you know, you could throw a baseball down Broadway and hit a hundred famous people with that baseball. And I mean, famous or infamous mm-hmm. or successful in Oklahoma, <clears throat> you'd be hard pressed to just look around. And, and I'm saying there's a ton of successful people, but they look like everybody else. There's yeah. no, and so they're very proud that Essie Hinton is, is from their backyard, from their neighborhood, from their school, from That's their cool. city. And it still resonates with them 51 years after she wrote that novel, the outsiders, you know? And so I want to show them that, listen, you know, even if she's failing out of, of, of 11th grade with the, with the, she got a, well, she wasn't failing out. She got a D plus in creative writing that year that she wrote the outsiders in high yeah. school. And she got a, she got a, she got a D in English or something like that. And so like, you know, those things don't define us in that moment. You know what I mean? And she wrote a, uh, an American masterpiece that started the whole young adult category. Never in the history of, of literature had somebody been a teen writing about teens for teens. And it created the, the largest category and the highest selling category of all time, which is the young adult. That's uh, crazy, thanks to like man. Harry Potter and all that. And I'll started right, you know, a couple bucks away from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> wait, wait, I it, just happen to. Is she alive? She lives. Yes. Oh, yeah. She just. I just talked to her today. We're actually uh, like uh, I was telling you earlier. Not only am I interested in the outsiders, her else. She also wrote the Rumblefish, which was also oh, shit. by Coppola here. Yeah. And so we're doing. We're going to put up about ten to fifteen different location plaques, uh, brass plaques in the movie locations. The first one gets dedicated uh, November first at noon, here in downtown Tulsa, and it's the scene where uh, Matt Dillon gets hit over the head. After being robbed in the alley and has an outer body experience, oh, we've got the the building owner to donate us, you know, the the wall space. The plaque was uh, paid for by uh, one gas. It was pretty expensive too, to a couple thousand dollars for the proper plat, brass Damn. plaque. And uh, where the mayor will be out here with me and uh, a few other, you know, heads of state, and we'll dedicate this plaque. And eventually, what I want is when people come to Tulsa that they don't need me, and independently of me, they can go see all these historical, uh, yeah, totally, you know, movie locations. It's really Delta Bravo. It started here. This whole thing started for me when I was on tour with La Coca Nostra in 2009. We pulled through a little town called Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had no idea what Tulsa was. We were playing the historic Canes Ballroom, same place the Sex yep. Pistols played in 78. They still got a hole in the wall that Sid Vicious, Vicious punched uh, in, the, in the green room that yeah. they cut out and put in the office. And uh, it occurred to me that my favorite movie of all time was filmed here. And I've been looking for the locations and couldn't be more... Uh, blown away by that they looked exactly like they did in 82 when they filmed here and exactly like they would have in the 60s when they were trying to you know uh, that was the period of that book and i was blown away and i've I've been blown away ever since and the story just keeps growing and growing and growing fucking awesome man we've got pbs did a big thing on us we did a we got a documentary in the works we got press up the wazoo and it, it really it's not press for danny boy it's press for just the legacy of, of yeah 
you know, of, of this little girl who was 15 and wrote this great book and what came out of that. So my hopes are down the line. And after I get a couple of years in on this thing, and again, we're in the infancy stages, we just cut the ribbon a couple of months ago. The museum is open. So Everything cool, is good. Man. But eventually I want to do an S.E. Hint museum. Maybe it's, you know, a decade away, but yeah. somewhere where all of her work can be put in one common place yeah. tied together with Francis Ford Coppola's work. And then we got Tom Waits and Stuart Copeland who were in, uh, you know, one did the soundtrack for Rumblefish and one was in both. Uh, Tom Waits was the, the, uh, the guy who answers the door after they kill the social. So what do you boys want? And they're like, get Dally, you know, he knows it's Johnny. Tell him, hurry. That was Tom Waits in that. And then he was oh, the, the bartender, Benny and Benny's billiards in the Rumblefish. So wow, I'm going to try man. to see if I can't get them to, you know, do a musical wing for the for this museum, the, the the future one, and maybe teach kids the you know the, the value of art, literature, movie making, and music. So it's, it's my fucking dream. it's it's we'll it's see. so amazing that like you you found that that's one of your favorite movies, and you end up moving there and and, and like bringing it back to life in a sense, and bringing more awareness to it, bringing all kinds yeah. of people to. Yeah, Toby, you got to know one thing about me: I'm all in or I ain't in at all. You I know, know you I mean? are. I know you are. Like man. I don't I don't take bite sized portions of anything man that, yeah that, to, a, to a fault so yeah I, uh, i'm in it to win it and uh, i found my home here and the people here are fantastic we have the largest rideable uh strip of route 66 still in existence we have a historic movie theater 91 years old the circle cinema which is has two 35 millimeter projectors 70 millimeter digital you name it you feel like you're going back in time uh, the Canes Ballroom is here. Any band who's anything has played Canes yeah, at played some there. point yeah, or another. Man, if you're sure. kind of, yeah, I mean, it's like a bucket list. It's like uh, the CBGBs of the Midwest. In yeah. way of, I mean, when Metallica plays the BOK Center, James goes across the street and flicks it up in front of Canes just for, you know, yeah. old time sakes. It's got more history. So there's a lot of history here. This is I'm just scratching the surface for your listeners because, you know, they may or may not know, but it's definitely a city that's growing exponentially. I, I first found out about Tulsa, obviously, you know, 2009 when we came through. I, uh, I, I've been watching it ever since. I've been here two years now, but the growth has been in incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's miraculous. And uh, uh, people don't like it here in Tulsa to be compared to like Nashville or, or Austin. Yeah. But so what? It, it is. It's, it's this is what's happening. I mean, there's the, the growth has been incredible. And it's this beautiful little art deco city. I like to call it the Paris of the Midwest. Uh, it was built up on oil money. This is where the Getty fa uh, family made its fortune. This is where Wade Phillips and Phillips 66 and all the oil men. They were there. They were Tulsans. So they came to Tulsa and made their fortune. And the city was built up with their money in the 20s. And you look around the city and your jaw will drop. You'll be like, wow, this is a, the biggest little city I've ever been to. People are friendly. Two dollars for gas. Uh, good food. And, uh, you know, I don't really want for more and zero traffic. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was just yeah. back in la last week oh my god it's brutal what right going on? Oh. Well, one of my questions i asked one of the last questions well are you i pretty much can get already because i know you and you've been through a lot of things and i know where your head's at now but you consider yourself an optimist or pessimist uh, i know the answer to that i think <laughs> i'm always optimistic but yeah. i'm caution i'm caution i i always hey that's the struggle you know the the angel and the devil on both sides of your shoulders on you know on either side yeah i oh i wake up very optimistic it's those voices in my head that constantly tell me dude the fix is in you've already been ruled out you're you know my head is always trying to do me in and that's again why why uh for me finding a, a program yeah uh 
helped me through that. Just not drinking and using is great. That's just me not committing suicide on a, on a day-to-day basis, but mm-hmm. I needed a plan for living. And I got that in the, in the 12 steps. And so in the, in those steps, I was able to, you know, uncover, discover and discard all the bad stuff. I get a daily reprieve based upon my spiritual maintenance. And what that means because I know it sounds like a lot of California psycho babble, but what mm-hmm. it really means is it's like I can only stay clean on today's shower, not yesterday's shower. And my head will always play a, a very uh, unpopular station called KFUCK. And it constantly tells me, wow. you know, that I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. And I just got to keep reinforcing and, and, and tuning that out and just keep doing work and whatever the work yeah. speaks for itself. I don't think I'm self, it was a great motivational speaker. Every time I speak, people tell me it was fantastic. So my head tells me I'm awful and a fraud. <laughs> Everybody tells me you were the most genuine, authentic person I've heard in years. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, and so again, I, I'm my own, uh, I'm an optimistic guy who constantly has thoughts of my own demise. Yeah. And so I constantly work on it on a day. It's a struggle every sure. day, but therein lies the challenge is, you know, to constantly just bat those things down and, and keep, keep moving despite somebody posted a quote a while back and it, it, I don't even remember whose quote it was. And I'm not obviously, you know, see a million on, on social media, but it basically said, you know, something, don't tell me about, you know, uh, don't tell me about the, the, your, the, your problems. Tell me how you, per, you persisted despite those problems or something to that effect. Yeah. And that's everything really, you know, we all got things, man. Totally. You know, everybody's got like a problem. You know, you 100%. look at people and you're like, they, they got it going on. You don't know what they got. No, they you don't have no clue. You Especially know, with social on, media, on man. Yeah, man. Oh, you're seeing everybody's like, uh, Slane always, he hits his quotable, but he's like, you're watching a highlight reel. Yeah. You know, here's all, here's here's my highlight reel of all the great things that we do, and it's easy to go wow, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, you know, I, yeah. we all, who isn't? You on social media, you're gonna yeah, post man. all this stuff. You you know, you trying to you trying to it's your lookbook. Yep. You know, totally. And so I get it. And if you're not in that, if you're not feeling it, you look. All I have to do. I mean, I listen. I spent the last prior to the moving here, the last 13 years in Beverly Hills. All I needed to do was step outside of my apartment to go, oh, I'm not enough. Better go back inside. I mean, (laughs) everybody seems to have everything figured out. Yeah, totally. And as I was heading towards 50, I'm like, I don't have anything figured out. Uh, If you're listening at home and you're in a punk band or you were a rapper or whatever, check it out. There is no uh, dental, medical, 401k, pension, any of this. And so it's the life you choose. uh, But definitely as you – I never thought I'd make it to 50. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm 50, I'm like, wow, how am I going to pay for all this when I'm 60 or yeah. 70? Yeah. If I'm not, you know what I mean? And I hope yeah. to be just as like, you know, uh, on the go as I am at 50. At 50, I feel 20 something still. Totally. Mentally, for sure. I don't feel like, you know, yeah. my body don't move the same as I did, you know. And I can definitely tell you what, uh, these are real concerns at this point. And this is the only downside. If you ain't getting mailbox money and you don't write that hit. Uh, it's, it, there's a lot of things. So again, I try to stay in the day to day of it. I do one yeah, day at that. a time is my, is a, today I have everything I need. I, I got food. I got uh, gas in the car. My rent is paid. Uh, I don't, I can obsess over what I think is going to happen tomorrow. All the stuff I always worry about never really comes true anyway. Of Go course. figure. Get yeah, constantly worried about stuff. I'm constantly worried about stuff that never comes true. Go figure. Damn. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, <clears> I think it's everybody. Think a lot but, of people, yeah. Exactly. But despite that, we still do what we got to do. And 100%. so I learned to just try to, you know, 
again, it shows me where, where the, where the work is for me. It's in faith, you know, and faith doesn't have to be in something else. Just faith that it's going to go the way it's supposed to go. <clears throat> Despite all of my antics and best thinking or best laid plans, it's still, <laughs> it's going to be what it's going to be. Uh-huh. All I'm responsible for is the footwork and to do what I say I'm going to do. And that's what I do. Yeah. I love that, man. Well, thank you, Dan. Share with this. We cover a lot. Oh, it's a pleasure, my man. And again, I, you know, I don't know if people tell you, but uh, you've always been a very healthy uh, influence in my life. Thank you, man. And uh, you've always been that guy who's been, uh, you know, very, I watch you for over 25 years now. And I I remember I see you running in New York, Nike'd up back in the day. I see you running at Runyon. You're always (laughs) eating, you eat right. Yeah. Stay healthy. You've been you've been on the the PMA thing way before it became a you know the buzzword a couple you know yeah and you really walk it like you're talking I'm not just blowing smoke up the pipe I'm telling you you know you know it is but for your listeners it is uh, always good to look and see somebody who really practices what they preach and I see the benefits of it man and I've seen you skateboard too so when you say I used to skate yeah I used to skate I like that (laughs) (laughs) you get down for yours I like it and so you're the real deal man and thank you brother it's always uh it's always good to know that you know and I think yeah I just ran this the reason this podcast came about because I ran into you at that Beverly Hills juice spot I seen you over there I was driving by in town for a couple of days and uh you turned me on to that back in the day too I remember walking in there like five years ago like this place is fantastic how long you guys been here and the guy looked over he's like oh i don't know like 25 years yeah, it's in the 70s <laughs> i'm like oh yeah my bad like i only yeah i only lived here 12 and a half years and never noticed this but yeah i love bear issues you, you know? I, I mean i mean i'm the I mean, guy I, that used to look like popeye what happened to that old dude he bounced he, he went to, he went back to over the valley or something she's not there no more oh snap um but he was in there back then he was well, listen again like i said man just to wrap it up again the world needs more tobies and, and you've Thank been you, always man. been a, a a very uh a, a very positive force in music and and, you, and, and and all of that stuff, despite, you know, your unsavory friends. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and I want to uh, I remember take, I remember taking you to get tattooed in Avenue B. Oh, you did. You got my first, my first girlfriend, Megan. That's still right. in the back of my neck. <laughs> yeah. Christ and Sons. I remember it. I had the business card in my like stash for a long time. Me, you, and Baba, and Baba yeah. and his brother from that punk gang called Burbank Punk Organization. And Baba was working out there too, and Baba still is a tattoo artist now. Yeah, his yeah. His brother Odie, his brother Odie was with us back then. That was a crazy time. And being you know? and being in the Shamrocks and Shenanigans video, that was such a fun day. Mm-hmm. It's fucking awesome. All yeah, listen, you were part of the aesthetic. I mean, when people saw those, they were like, "Is he in the group?" You had the yeah. racism yeah. and press at that point because with bald heads in '92 totally. looking like skinheads, totally. people wanted to know, "Are these dudes racist?" And yep. it's like, "No." Nah, we're not racist you know we're fucking we're, yeah. we're, we're just hard rock kids that are yeah. like you know doing us and so it was cool and it was important that we had you in there as well Thank and you, uh, man. even back then i mean you were tatted up to the to the nines that's when <laughs> most people were yeah. were shook with it you they're like yeah. i gotta work someday i ain't getting it you were already you already dipped so <laughs> again crazy. you go way back with all that man and, and and props to you and again sick of it all and all those groups like that yeah. that came and embraced hip-hop you know what i mean totally when it was like a not and that may might not have been the coolest thing and i remember also howie with the louder than louder than whatever jackets and oh yeah, yeah. And that's right 24 7 spies and i used to go to the record store they were like put this record in rock we are not hip-hop we're not reggae it was like 24 7 spies even, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was like a different era man you know people yeah. didn't even know where to put that in a record store at the time so that's true 
Anyway, well, much love to you, man. Talking to you, man. Yeah, I love Always, you, brother. Man. Man. And let's, I'll see you next time or bring out the fan. Come on. Let's, I will. Let's make I, a I, pre- party at the house. H2O should play the Outsiders house on the lawn. That'd be fucking crazy, uh, dude. A lawn jump off. Oh, I pre- I'm so happy All for right, it. I, pre- I appreciate our friendship and everything, man. And uh, same, I'm really same. happy for you, man. Be well, Toby. Much love, Danny. All right, brother. Stay Peace. Cool. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.